are you? Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Sorry about the time mix up there. Why are you sorry? Because I feel like uh, I we didn't. I did, it was it was the, uh, the responsibility was on me to doodle you or whatever, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, it's 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 really it's not a problem at all. I I just I was silly, and I um I don't you know. Well, just for what it's worth, the page still says it's at noon. Just for what it's worth, so that's something to fix. You can you can fix it when you add me as a as oh, a. Oh uh, right! You can also add me as a co-host in all the places where you mention all your big shot co-hosts. You can do it all in a cut. I'll do so I'll do that all. Be a good release? Is that a good interim release? Is that a what do they call that? You could, they call it a hot fix. Is that what you call that? I'll do what that. What does that mean, Benjamin? Hot fix. What does that mean? A hot fix usually means something that you fix in place rather than maybe through a full deploy. Mm, mm-hmm, a hot mm-hmm, fix mm-hmm. could be something that they send out to an already deployed system that that just fixes one tiny like little if issue. An exploit, if there's an exploit, like a big exploit. Yeah, or something. yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, all right. I'm curious because I see that. I just my um, I thought say I just got an update. There was a hot fix. Now, is that something you can do on the iTunes store? Is that can can, can you do that now? Is there a way to like expedite? I don't know. Hmm. That seems complicated. I just updated the time, so now on the show page it even says 2 p.m. Nice. I need to do that for all the shows. I realize. Yeah, you should. You should uh, refactor your code. Do you, you know what that means? I do. Okay. You, should, you want me to build your CMS? No. I saw a thing where I can make it in TextMate in like ten minutes. <laughs> there, you saw the Rails, the Rails demo of how to <laughs> what make. What was it. his phrase? What was his phrase? Was it boom? Was that was he was he a boom guy too? He had he had a, an adorable accent. I think and he so. Kept, you're talking about David Hanemeyer Hansen. DHH, DHH, yeah, DHH, right? DHH the creator mm-hmm. of Rails. 37 signals guy. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 Just another freed egg. <laughs> that's that's good. That's the stupidest pun I've ever made up in my entire life. Did you come up with that? Oh, I'm afraid so. Holy crap, that's dumb. I like wow. where we're going with this show. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's already good. This is already gold. Let me get my tea. My tea's done mixturing. Hang on a second. Yeah. I got a. Uh, <clears throat> I got I got a new tea maker. I got a new tea maker. What'd you get? Mm. I've got ow, this is really hot. I've got <laughs> I've got the uh <laughs> sunbeam. It's a, a it's an aroma. See, I came back from New Zealand and I decided I was gonna make all French press coffee like a big shot. Oh yeah. And I just say it's a huge pain in the ass to make French press coffee. Oh, it is. So There's a lot of cleanup too. Huge amount of cleanup. And you know what, Dan Benjamin? We don't have I don't have eight foot ceilings and th- eight foot doors and thirteen foot ceilings. I don't even have a disposal. So, you know, I'm making a lot of compost that I've got to clean with my hands. So How do you get it out this. of there then? You don't just f- put it down in the drain? You just, you just really get in there. You dig in with your nails. That's what you do. And then you rinse it with this crap my wife buys, this seventh generation crap that doesn't really work. I'm not bitter. I just don't really care about the environment as much as other people. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. This is good though. This is good. I brought, got one for the office and I got one for home. And now I use it to make tea. So I'm going to put this back now. Right. Productivity. Mm-hmm. So how you doing, Dan Benjamin? How's your finger doing? Oh, it's uh it's much better now. It's been, I think, nine days. Is it is it really that much better? It's a lot better. I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say it looks normal. Mm-hmm. But it's much improved. Much improved. Is it it's funny because things like bruises and things like that, generally when they're getting uglier, it's like when they're healing, is it getting uglier? It went through the getting uglier stage, and it now actually is starting to look better. The swelling is way down. 
The yeah. fin, if if the the swelling, I'd say another two or three days, the swelling will be gone, and it'll just be a normal looking finger with a, a Halloween nail on it. Or as my my little boy, my three year old boy, <laughs> calls it, my purple Halloween finger. I've said that on another show, but I, it's now become a source of great amusement for him. And, oh, and that's me. really, and me. that's funny. This is what they mean when they say that you, you re-experience the world through your kid's eyes. That's, you know, I see my finger as a, a wonderful source of I totally get that. I'm, I'm really proud now when I go to the bathroom by myself, flush and wash my hands. <laughs> yeah. Big, big that's step. Baby that's a big step, and I don't even need my little stool anymore, <laughs> so to speak. Let's take it one step at a time. Different so kind of stool. Different kind of stool. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um... Um, let's see. So I, I wrote on a piece of paper here. I don't really, I, you know what, Dan, I got nothing. I got nothing for today. I got down how I confuse the words prostate and prostrate, uh, how I hide my inbox and Gmail. We've got a new time you didn't tell me about. Uh, you should announce after dark. And, uh, did I mention there's a new time you didn't tell me about? Yeah, we do this at, we're doing this at 2 p.m. And we, I, Just, we did we have a sponsor yet, Dan. Did we get a new sponsor? We, well, I think we do have one. We need to have a phone call with the three of us, you, me, and the sponsor. But I think we're in, I think we're. So we can diary that? Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty much it. So uh, you want to button it up? Yeah, this will be a quick show. We should uh, talk about After Dark. So this is this is great. You go to five by five dot TV slash After Dark, and this is a, this is an idea I'd had a while ago, and then Merlin forced my hand, which is always a good thing. I love this, and basically the idea was. Wait, wait. You tell me, Dan Benjamin. You had this idea before I actually came up with the idea and did it. You had the idea first. Yeah, we already had the artwork done. Huh. It's awesome. Are. It's a, it's a, it's a no brainer. I mean, but this you, is no, thing. but this is a great topic. This is a great topic because this yeah. is something that like I'd had the idea. We'd I'd sort of halfway executed on it, mm-hmm. and just was like I don't know if I was if I was procrastinating if I was feeling like that uh, there was something out you know. But it was one of those things, and pe- I think I do this. Uh, I guess I do this more than I even realized I do. Is that you have an idea and for some reason you don't ship it? I didn't ship this, and then all well, of a sudden I realized yeah. you were already shipping it. And I said, well, now I got it. Now I got to ship it. And, of course, it's great. It, it is great. It's, it's, here's the thing, Dan. A lot of people listen to this show, and the, the word I want to use is rigidity of our format. And the fact that we have such, like, I call it Eye of the Tiger, the amount of lightning, laser-like focus that we have on whatever <laughs> the topic we've chosen is. The yeah. fact that we always end it exactly at 59, colon 59, right. pardon my French. The <laughs> fact that we always button it up, and it's so organized. And then what happens at the end? We take our tie off. We don't even take our tie off. We loosen our tie just a little bit. And we talk about Les Pauls. And right. we talk about how my daughter can't color. And uh, we talk about, uh, what else do we talk about, Dan? I think that you covered it. You know what's good also is the, the talk show after one. I haven't listened to all of them, but uh, boy, I, I, I enjoy that. And so, so it's us, you know, uh, BSing around after the show. Right. And here's what most people are really happy. The thing people like most about it is that we don't edit it. It's in, in, in the sense of you curse all the time and we yeah. don't edit that out. And people want that. They want to hear you curse. I, boy, I got in trouble. There was exactly one episode of Mac Break where I had, I don't know how this happened. I had convinced Leo to go with an explicit tag. You know, so do you, do you have, um, well, wait, never mind. Never, I forgot the thing you said about how this is going to be a show for 15 year olds, but, uh, there's an animal that people ride that has a bridle and there's a word that starts with F that's a gerund. And I use that on the show. I said HFing on the show and it accidentally kept it in. And Oh, even with the explicit tag, I got in so much trouble. It's a dearly. It's a funny word. It's a, say it, say it in your brain right now. Just say it to yourself. Yeah. Hi, hi. 
Say it in your, say it in your head. It is a good word. It's a funny word. But uh, it is after dark. But I don't think it's deliberate, Dan. Do you think we, we don't do it on purpose? We're not doing it to provoke. We're not doing no. it to titillate. No, no, it's just, it's fun. And no. so so what it is, is after we hit stop and we say the official show is over, usually there's anywhere from five to... 30. 30, yeah. 30 minutes of, of really great content. And, and for a long time, only the people who tuned in live were privy mm-hmm. to this. And the idea was... You got Micronauts, uh, you got uh, really uh, just so many things, and there's really no need for it, but it is delightful. So we there's- put it out there, but I, I'm keeping it, I'm kind of keeping it on the DL, like it doesn't go mm-hmm. on the main page of the site, yeah. it, you have to know where to find it. I think that's smart, Dan Benjamin. We had this discussion. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to make it too crowded. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I want to yeah. redo that whole site anyway, God. It's a gorgeous site. You know, I'm, uh, gosh, I don't know if I told you this. I'm stealing your, uh, your font face file. I use it. I, no, no, not on a, not on a production site, but for my own previews. Does that make you feel good to know? Yeah. Yeah. What you is can that? use it anywhere you want. Oh, it looks great. You should see it in text me. It looks really great. We should talk about something useful today. We talked about restaurants. You think people like the restaurant episode? I, I, I can't, I, I think it's one of those, it's a pull one of those, and you look nice today. We have these occasional polarizing episodes. I think that was a polarizing episode probably. Yeah, like some people seem to really like it. Yeah. But we see here's the thing. I think we, I think you set the bar really really high because the first few episodes <laughs> we were life were literally, I'm not kidding. They were right. life-changing for people. There were people do, who Do you want me to cry today? I'll cry today if you want. Oh God, cry. it would help. <laughs> Let's talk about I was talking on I went into the colloquy. Colloquy? Colloquy? Yeah, I need to, to apologize to the nerds for uh, misfiring on the time. We were talking about Synecdoche, New York, and how it makes me cry. Even the trailer makes me cry. Maybe we should talk about Synecdoche, New York. Did you like that movie? See? It's a polarizing. I said this. I said this to, to B. Michael. Michael B. Yeah. I, that, that it's a very polarizing movie. And John Syracuse, who I've never officially met but really like, even though I, I, I tease him sometimes, who I have huge amounts of respect for. Don't tell him I said that. Um, I Believe me, I won't. <laughs> Okay, because he, he'll correct me. That's fine. Um, but uh, he, he, he was talking about it too. It's a very polarizing. It's like the Smiths, right? It's like, it's like the Smiths or like, you know, like, like having sex with somebody's knee. It's a very divisive issue. There's some people <laughs> who are going to be really into it and other people are going to go, why did you say that, right? See, I knew that. Yeah. So um, now, now me, I like the Smiths. I've never been into the knee thing. Oscar Wilde though, big fan. Mm. Yeah, with uh, Bozy. So uh, yeah. it's a movie that is, like all things Charlie Kaufman, it's boy, there's a lot of people who really, really don't like it. And then other people like me who like everything Charlie Kaufman does. I'm like, oh God, too close to home, too close to home. Have you seen, so wouldn't, and I'm going to guess you're not a fan. Not a fan of it. I have seen it. I have seen at, at least a few other Charlie Kaufman films, but I want to make sure that I, that I know the main ones. Being well, John he's, Malkovich, he's written, right? He's written more, he, I believe he, did he direct that? I, I don't or, know if he directed it. Right. I know he wrote it though. Nerds? And, uh, I think he might adap- have, adaptation. Adaptation. Uh, he wrote. I'm just going to go to the end. The spotless uh, mind of the summer. Spotless Jim, Jim Carrey mind okay, of the that internal. Movie. That's a. You know what that is? Also, no. You know who that is? That's that. Uh, isn't that the Michelle Gondry guy? Did he do that? That wasn't the him. Who, that was did that. Well, no, he wrote it. He wrote okay. a lot of these, but that was the guy who did this, the Chemical Brothers videos, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Um, Charlie Kaufman. This is gold. Solid gold. He's mostly known as a writer, but he has directed. So he wrote Synecdoche, New York. Oh, he wrote an episode of Moral Oral. That's cool. Um, whoa, he worked on Get a Life? Whoa. 
His only thing he has directed is Synecdoche, New York. Why am I having a brain fart about John Malkovich? I, somebody I thought he wrote that. that. He did write it. I'm trying to remember who directed Oh, duh. Spike Jones. Spike idiot. Jones. Jones. So New York, boy, it's hard to explain, um, like so many things, but it's, it really hits close to home for me. It's a movie about a guy, and I kind of don't want to spoil it for you. I will just say that if you enjoy, there's a word, you know, um, uh, who is it? Elmore. I always get to say Elmore James when I mean Elmore Leonard. You know, Elmore Leonard says you can only use an exclamation mark every 100,000 characters. I'm only allowed to use the word surreal quarterly, and I think that's working out well. So um, <laughs> here we go, winter of 2011. It's, it is, it's, it's not surreal. It's almost, I would say, more magically real in the, you know, sort of uh, Marquez kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Weird, weird juxtaposition of things that are portrayed as being real. And it's very magical in, in some ways and very kind of intellectually and emotionally engrossing as these kind of broken interior world of this guy in and not without spoiling it for you. I think that the basic conceit of the movie is that everybody kind of has their own weird play going on in their head in some ways. And it doesn't necessarily have the slightest thing to do with reality and that your involvement in the granularity of that play <laughs> can make years of your life suddenly disappear. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a weird movie. But it, you know what? Okay, so how is this potentially germane here? It's not. Um, but what it reminds me of, and I just posted this. If you go to my site, go to the Kung Fu Grip, and you'll see I just updated my photo on the site All right. to uh, my favorite screen grab with my fa- new favorite line from the movie. Is oh, you shot? took away you took away the. Oh, that was a good photo I'll of you, though. Back. I'll put it back. It's a computer. I can change it. It's a, I, I want to use that for your biopic on the on my site. Was it me looking angry? Picture? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, see, how about this? How about today we do the after show now, and then afterward we'll try and say something that helps people with their life. Okay. Okay. He's sitting there, and uh, I, I believe those are index cards that are in front of him. And uh, you can see the trailer. If you go to Kung Fu Grip, you can see it. But also if you just search on Synecdoche, New York, on the YouTube, you can see the trailer. Fantastic trailer. But <laughs> you're just seeing him sitting and staring at, at this, what looks like probably dozens or hundreds of index cards. And it's, it's the part in the movie where there's, in the trailer, where they, a wonderful line, uh, Caden, who's, who's the character, says... Um, I'm going to go down one post to see what he says. He says, I don't know why I make it so complicated. And this woman, I think it's, it's his therapist or maybe his wife says, uh, he says, I don't know why I make it so complicated. And she says, that's what you do. And when I hear that, I hear that as not just that's a thing that you do. Yeah. <laughs> the part that harms me is I hear that is, no, no, that's like your job. Your job is you complicate oh, right, things. That's right. kind of like what you do for a living. And you know what really strikes me about this? Um, to bring in my, my wonderful shrink again, we talked in uh, S1E3 about a lot about ADHD and attention and, you know, kind of what's medical and what's behavioral and so forth. And I'll tell you one reason that this picture resonates with me. Um, as we discussed, again, I'm not a clinician, <laughs> but, you know, ADD at the heart of it is your brain not producing enough dopamine, right? And so dopamine has a role in lots of different things. You can Wikipedia this, but, you know, things like L-DOPA will, or pe- for people who are having, you know, episodes, it can reduce the amount of dopamine you have because too much dopamine can make you see patterns that aren't there. Um, But not enough dopamine makes it very problematic for you to see patterns that do exist there. Was this the problem with the the guy in, uh, was it Dangerous Mind or uh, 
You know, the, the I think he was. I think he was bipolar, or um, possibly, um, what's the word? I, I think he had something. Schizophrenia, more. maybe. Yeah, they call. It, I think they call it bipolar. Now, now they have a better term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but remember when um, he went out there and he had he had all, the whole room set up with all the things and all the the little pieces of twine that went. Is from, this the Jeffrey Rush movie? Or the or the Russell uh, Crowe Russell Crowe the Jeffrey Rush oh, movie that was good. where he played Peter Sellers. Oh, that's right. You're ta- okay, you're not it, talking about the one where before that where the he one was where the Japanese guy attacks him when he comes home jumping up and down on the that's trampoline the, naked. That's the Pink Panther, and then Steve Martin was in the version that that wasn't as good, right? Yeah, it wasn't as good. And Blake Edwards was married to Julie Andrews, and she showed her boobs in Victor Victoria. Now Nicholas oh, Hammond yeah, was the oldest that. son in Sound of Music, and then he was in Spider Man in 1978. So my point is that if you're not producing enough dopamine, you have trouble with your attention sometimes. Holds for laugh. Beautiful mind, the nerds say. Josh the Oak actually says that. Well, that's a good movie. That's one of those uh, Sixth Sense type situations where you just don't want to know like anything. Like that movie. Of. But which one? Beautiful, beautiful Mind? Beautiful Mind. Oh, it's, it's tremendous. I also like Sixth Sense. I do too. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, uh, yeah, okay. I'm not going to get derailed. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Dopamine. And it has a role in lots of things. And you can have an agonist or an antagonist. And you try to bring it up. You try to lower it down. But And feel free if there's any physicians in the chat room or John Syracuse to correct me on this. But my understanding is that, that the symptoms that most of us come to understand as some element of ADHD come out of this, you know, kind of not having enough dopamine. And as we said, you know, you can act like that's a license, you know, to play some racing game on your iPad too. But, you know, it's, it's really, it can be something much more kind of chemical in place. So not long ago, and just so we're clear, like I don't necessarily, not that it matters, uh, but <laughs> when I go to my shrink, you know, he basically, he, he hands me a prescription. We talk about the iPhone and he checks my blood pressure every few weeks. But other than that, we mostly talk about the iPhone. He's a fantastic guy, but it's not like I sit around and talk about my father or something. It's, you know, I have, <laughs> I have a, pipes and, a pipes and wires problem that he helps me with. But I, I, well, not long ago, I asked him about this again because I was like, I really want to understand this because I, first of all, he's not officially my technical editor for the book, but he's definitely the guy I'm most scared of. So that becomes his role. I was like, help me understand more about the dopamine, specifically with regard to, and again, one of the nerds corrected my pronunciation on this, but I believe it is called salience. Can we please check the pronunciation on that? You, so you said yep. salience, right? No, I say salience, and somebody told me it's salience. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I have, I'm the worst at pronounce, pronunciation. Salience. I guess it's salience. Okay, I'm going to say salience. Um, here's what sound. You know what? We never got back to that, so I'm just. As, I'm glad we're getting to this. Um, in my talk on time and attention, I bring this up a lot. What I call grizzly bear mode, right? So you're grizzly bear mode. Imagine you're going camping, right? And you want to go camping, hang out with your kids and your wife. You want to go have some fun or your partner. Do you or do that? Do you ever go camping? Not a good camper. No, I'm what, I I'm what like is called it. a car camper. I'm a car camper. Uh, this is the way, the closest to being Jewish that I am is that I simply cannot camp. It's, it's really, it's really <laughs> problematic. No, no, seriously. For me, it's like a trip to the grocery store with a tent. And we get out of the car, we put up the tent, and then it's mainly about bacon. And, you know, uh, and trying to find a place to urinate that's not uncomfortable. Because I like to sit. <laughs> wow! No, I don't. I was. Kidding. I don't like. I don't like camping. I don't like camping. I don't. You know what? Every single time I try to take some time off to do anything, first of all, it takes me three days to unhook from wherever I was mentally to get to somewhere different. So, like two nights of camping, I'm just frustrated. And I'm, that's mainly I'm, I'm mad at plastic steaks for two days. You know, but. 
um, camping, camp, imagine you go camping with your family. And, you know, maybe somewhere that's, you know, like somewhere in Yosemite or wherever, you can get bear boxes, right? Because, you know, there's bears. There's bears. And they're not that scared of people. So imagine you spend your entire time basically prowling the perimeter of your camp- campground, right? Because you don't want your family to be eaten by bears. And on some level, yeah, it's good to be safe. Like I say to my, my daughter all the time, it makes her stare at me because she doesn't know what I'm saying. But I say there's a difference between being safe and being scared. That's a concept that means a lot to me with her. I'll say, you know, hey, you know, don't touch the part on the hot water heater where the flame is. I'm like, oh, you don't have to be scared of it. You just have to be safe. And if you're safe, you don't have to be scared. So, you know, being safe is putting your food in a bear box. Being scared is never singing uh, camp spot, campfire songs or making hot, delicious schmoes with your family. It's you walking around in a circle. <laughs> and I think that's what happens when you sit in your inbox all day. You become overvigilant. A uh, big thing in this book for me that I'm writing is, is this notion of tolerance, developing the tolerance for the unknown, the ambiguous, and the incomplete. But that grizzly bear mode, well, what is it? Everything is potentially a bear. You've heard me say that before, right? You know, so you're so obsessed with everything that could be a bear that you're just scanning, scanning, scanning all the time. Now, the problem with having the wrong salience or salience is that it's hard for you to, to tell the difference between a bear and everything else, okay? It's the, the, one of the problems, and again, with not producing enough dopamine in particular, you lose what's called executive function. You kind of you start to – it hinders your ability to make a conscious decision to say this is the thing I'm going to do and then do it. And let's be honest. It's one reason nerds like me and the people who've been kind enough to read my site become so obsessed with things like distraction-free writing environments and um, – and what, and like what, you know, getting their system honed to this, you know, the hook gets in with these certain kinds of things that feel productive and aren't. But the problem at the heart of it is, and I can't say this because, you know, nobody believes me until they believe me, but your problem is not bears and your problem is not distraction-free writing. Your problem may really be somewhere else, right? That distraction-free writing mode, I would not count on that to get your novel done. If it works, good on you. But maybe it would help instead to figure out you either maybe need to get medicine or care more. Is my feeling on that. Now, what does this have to do with Synecdoche, New York? If you go back and look at that picture of Caden sitting in front of all those index cards, when I asked my shrink, tell me more about the way dopamine works, um, I really want to have him on the show because I'd like him to describe all of this stuff that I'm half understanding. Now, Caden's problem in that case is if you took all those index cards and let's say each one of them potentially had, let, let, let's take this away from a visual that you probably don't have if you're listening to this show. Imagine you've got a stack of 100 index cards, right? You go to Walgreens, you get a stack of 100 cards and somebody writes down a bunch of tasks, one task per card, right? And somebody hands it back to you, right? So you've got 100 tasks. All you really know is there's probably a task on every card. You don't really know if it's a good task. You don't know if it's a bad task. You don't know if it's a task you can do you don't know if it's a task that makes sense. It is all, in my parlance, questionable input. The only thing worse than bad input is questionable input because you don't even know if it's good or bad. You've got to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody hands you those 100 cards and you throw them in the air, a la 52 pickup style, and they land randomly. A person with a good amount of dopamine can flip through those and maybe even before they got to the last card would have a pretty good idea based on patterns that they see, based on ones that really jump out which one of those tasks to, to do to start with, right? That's having, that is having good salience. Whereas you could be somebody who just spends a lot of time picking up the cards, stares at them, doesn't see a pattern, or in some cases might see too many patterns. So what do you do? You start sorting them. You start putting them in piles. You get them in order. You say, oh, you know, I have too many cards here. I can't get started, so I should probably get some kind of a container for the cards, and then I'm going to need dividers 
because seriously, there's so much information here that taxonomically I'm going to need a way. Do you see where I'm going with this? I do. Maybe I do them by date. Maybe I do them alphabetically. Maybe I do them which ones have the most words on it. But the last thing that will occur to somebody who's deprived of that salience, of that dopamine, of that whatever, of that good attention, the last thing that would occur to them is to just grab a card and go do it. Or for that matter, to grab five cards and just pick the one that's most important. Well, wait a minute. What else is out there? Well, I don't know. You just spent six hours organizing cards. You didn't do any of them. But wouldn't you have been better off if you just did one of the things on one of those cards? Or better put, if you'd grab one of those cards and said, do I even need to do this? Hey, wait a minute. This is a duplicate of a card I've already seen. Hey, wait a minute. This is a card for a task I'm never going to do. This is a card for it. Do you follow? So I, I, that's a model. When I look at that picture and I see Caden staring at dozens and dozens, Caden being the lead character in Synecdoche, New York, played by PSH, I see him looking at all those cards and I go, that's, that's kind of me in a lot of ways. Because I will do that. I will organize those. And I, you know, heck, I, I'm receiving treatment. I know it doesn't always seem like it better than I used to be. But I think that's complicated. And I think it's very emotionally stunting to catch yourself staring at dozens of index cards, whatever your version of dozens of index cards is. Let's unpack that just a bit. First of all, is is this making sense, Dan? Oh, yeah. You don't suffer from this, do you? No. Hmm. let's, let's, Let's take it and turn it. Do you have a pretty good sense with your metaphorical pile of cards? Do things sort of jump out at you about what you need to be working on? Yes. You, you joked about, uh, haha, Merlin shipped this thing I was going to ship. I mean, but. Oh, I was being serious. Well, but wasn't there no, some part of serious. you, wasn't there some part of you that said that's out of scope for being at the top of my. Yes, that's why I didn't do it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I said it on this show, but I said it before. You know, we talked about snapping the rubber band for. Oh, yeah. Know, or whatever. Um, this is really embarrassing. You know what I literally yell sometimes? Seriously? Tell me. I, if I catch myself doing this, doing this cadence Do you thing, yell it out loud? Out of scope! Out of scope! I will literally yell the words out of scope. Out of scope. Yeah. And, and sometimes in development, they call it gold plating. Uh, what are some other names for that? I haven't heard uh, that. You ever heard gold plating? No. I think that's in, um, that's in one of the, maybe Steve O'Donnell's books. You know, when you're gold plating the requirements, you know what I mean? When you're, when you're doing stuff that's uh, beyond a nice to have, um, in my parlance in the book, I'm so into this idea of trying to solve the right problem at the right level. And I've said sometimes it's like, it's like picking out ornate doorknobs for a house that's being engulfed in flames, right? You're, you're so focused on this really minute thing that is masking your attention and your involvement, your emotional engagement is throwing you so far off the thing that you really should be thinking about, right? Yeah, you've decided that the choosing between these five doorknobs for your house is really important, but you'd probably be better off to Call the fire department. Get that fire. Like, like when Tyler Durden says that uh, Martha Stewart is polishing the brass in the Titanic. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I am Jack's reference. The uh, is it Jack? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that that's, that's, that's a movie about action and it's a movie about getting outside yourself. And yet so many people like just kind of quote it on Twitter. It's kind of ironic. It's a good movie though. It's a pretty good movie. And another one, it should go in that pile of, of don't tell your friends movies. It's pretty good. They had me. Um, and so out of <laughs> scope. I think that's really useful because in my case, I have to really catch myself. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to always come back to me, except, yeah, I am patient zero for this. I suffer from this a thousand times worse than most of you. And I will catch myself, and I'll go, wait a minute. Um, it's not my job to organize index cards, as I've said before. My, my job is to keep this thing in motion. Um, 
uh, side note, some friends of ours that you know, David and Katie from Mac Power Users. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever heard that interview. If you if you're interested in the how, why, what, where, go listen to the Mac Power Users interview with me. I think it's like episode twenty three or something. But just go Google and, re- Mac- and then re listen to it a couple times because that's There's the most densely packed episode. It's freakish. Dan Benjamin, get ready. You remember how you like Toy Story? Yes. And then you really went, oh no, but Toy Story 2 is really, really good. Yeah. The substitute workflow for Toy Story and nerdy for good. The ner- two and a half hour interview with me starts going up on the 27th. Are you kidding? Oh, dude, I get into the taxonomy of my text file naming. <laughs> All of the granular stuff, how I sync my iThings files through Goodreader, how to use iPhone URL schemes to paste links into your uh, OmniFocus. It's, if you like that kind of BS, and like I do, shamefully you were gonna so love it It, i can't wait for is it all is it all organized or is it all over the place well it's organized in the sense that that there's three people on the call i talk almost the whole time and and i think they'll have to edit out a couple curse words but it's it's my usual stream of consciousness stuff i can't wait when is that the 20 27 yeah i sent it to a pal of ours yesterday and uh, he said it was he said it was great five days let the countdown begin Yep, it's really good. The reason I mention it here is um, why um, Caden index cards, because I think I'm trying to remember the example that I gave there. But we're talking again about Scrivener and Scrivener too. Boy, I just cannot say enough good things about Scrivener too. It is tremendous, and I, I wouldn't just make it always make it so clear that this is not about Keith. This is not about literature and latte. This is not about Scrivener. It's about my brain where I do have to be careful with Scrivener that I don't get wound up in all the settings and preferences kind of stuff. But I, I really, I, I think I've called this the art of art. I think being, getting good at catching yourself when you're starting to drift from what you really want to be doing. You've heard me say back in S1E1, what is procrastination? It's forgetting temporarily, forgetting who you are or who you want to be. It's forgetting what you should be paying attention to. And procrastination third means um, forgetting what your options are for doing something about it. And we blame procrastination. We point to distraction. We look at all these external sources for why, you know, we need to go buy a distraction-free writing environment or whatever, or why we need a, a better notebook. And the, it, the answer is almost always inside. And the answer is that it does, it is exercise. You're not exercising enough. So that's become a real value to me. As I sit here and I look at Caden and I look at his index cards, I, um, first of all, it's still just really emotionally compelling to me, that whole movie. But uh, just watching him zip up his daughter's jacket, oh, I just cry. But it's, I think, you know, well, we should make this like our James Bond thing. Maybe we should have a Charlie Kaufman movie thing. I'd get <laughs> that. You would, you would hate that. Oh, I love that. But, but you guys go watch it. It's a weird this movie. This is the only Kaufman movie that I'm aware of that I don't, that I don't like. You like that adaptation? Love that. Yeah, I like their depiction of Robert McKee in that. Because I've read mm, maybe a fifth of his storybook. And just the way they depict him is so funny. It's so funny. Almost like a motivational well, but like, yeah, but like the most cynical. Yeah. So he's played by. Like motivating you in the, the wrong way almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And But really presenting, and the reason I think Kaufman probably seemingly despises him is he does kind of make this creative process into something that really is like a flow chart. You know what I mean? You just punch in these places, these things in these places and, you know, give me $5,000 for telling you that or whatever. But I like his book a lot. I like the, the McKee's storybook a lot. I didn't realize um, until after the movie that he was real. 
Yeah, he's played by the the wonderful uh, oh, what's his name? What's Brian his name? Cox. Brian Cox. Oh, he's so he plays good. The headmaster in uh, Rushmore. Such a great actor. He's the worst student we've got. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow, I, I, I we're rehashing a lot of old topics, but I think these are topics that for me are just so evergreen. And uh, I've actually been with the book stuff. I've been making pretty good progress in the last you know couple weeks just by employing some of those seemingly unnecessary, silly, boneheaded tactics. Do you know what I mean? Um, things like, you know, trying to catch yourself. I, um, I think I can probably say this. Do you remember our friend, our friend, uh, our friend from a few episodes ago who wasn't sure what to do in his twenties? Yeah. We had a nice phone call. We talked, we, we, we had a nice visit on the phone. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It was a really nice call and he's a great guy and he, uh, he likes Frank Zappa. And so we, we hit it off. Really, really cool guy who I think is way less troubled than A, he seems and B, than I was. He's fine. He's fine. He's sandbagging a little bit, but super nice guy, Mr. A. Um, but one of the things I, I, I said to him, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I'm always interested in metaphors and analogies because it's kind of how I understand and see the whole world. And I've always been interested in perfect pitch. It's so interesting to me because I do not have perfect pitch. I can sometimes tell if somebody plays a G on an acoustic guitar, I can sometimes tell because it's my favorite chord. If somebody plays a D with an added F sharp, you know the one I mean? You know what I mean? The yep. D and then you, you with the index finger with on the, the yeah. E. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I can tell because that's one of my favorite chords. But I couldn't just hear just a B flat and tell you it's a B flat. But I had a friend with perfect pitch, and he described it to me. I just it blew my mind that he could tell me a car horn was a slightly sharp F. It was just, it just blew my mind. I mean, he said, "Well, the way to look at it is it's like with colors. He's like, you can see blue, and you can see that blue is not red, and you could see green, and in fact." You could see that that's here. This one is actually kind of blue green. Can you visualize you know, a color in your head though with your eyes closed? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I mean, I don't. I, I feel like I can. Do you dream in color? I dream in bed. I. I don't. <laughs> no. I. I don't know. I don't dream like I used to. I. I. I we mentioned. We talked about this. I, I think. I. I think I dream in color. Maybe slightly desaturated color. Do you. Do you dream in color? Well, I, I always have, and people have told me that actually I don't, how they would know this, I don't know. They say, actually, I don't, but that my brain adds the color when I'm remembering the dream. Like Ted, like, uh, Ted Turner. <laughs> huh. Just like Ted. I'm my own Ted Turner. <laughs> there you go. Write it down. That, that and the purple finger. Capture those. All right. The, um, that, that, I heard that when he said that. Bob Anthony, Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, Bob. Bob from the Casualties. When he would say that, I would go like, oh, okay. I get that. And so, you know, he hears, um, you know, a tone, a, a note, like I see a color. Okay, that makes sense. And I got to tell you, I, I need to ask my doctor about this, but I, I think the salience issue is probably not so different. Caden or you or me or somebody, we, we could all look at the same hundred cards. And because of our different, mm, what, heuristics, algorithms, experience, there's different things about our brain. Some people would just go, well, I'm just going to grab the first one. Other people say, this is stupid. I'm not going to look at index cards and walk away. But we all have our own little shortcuts for how we would do that. And I wonder if that salience issue oh, – I never finished that one thought. So, so uh, with regard to salience from a way back, the difference is if you don't have – if your salience is not on its game, y- you will have trouble distinguishing a bear from a video game or a bear – you know, from a, from a comic book or a bear from it's just an email. In other words, you will have trouble distinguishing the single most important thing you should pick out of this mise-en-scene 
and get really hung up on a bunch of stuff that isn't actually a bear. You can way overlook for bears, or you can just miss the fact by is this making sense, Dan? Oh, if yeah. you don't have if you don't have that on your game, you're gonna look at those hundreds or thousands of index cards and have a really hard time seeing any, anything but a pile of index cards. And there's a part of me that wonders whether it's chemical, behavioral, however you want to look at it. If some people just really have the right some people just seem like they can do that and others can't. Good managers, right? Good managers. Have you, you ever had like a really good manager and they're like, you know, you just, I was just sat in a room with people who said a bunch of stuff and I, there's exactly one thing I need to do as a result of this. They don't have to review the notes. They just, they know what to listen for. You know what I mean? Job interviews. You have a job interview with somebody and there could be a whole bunch of stuff. Anybody else in the room wouldn't see stuff. You know what I mean? Other people, when you become a, when you spend enough time and enough ex, get enough expertise on any topic, you notice things that other people don't. You get like Sherlock Holmes, right? You go like, oh, I noticed that the sleeve on your right arm is frayed, so right. I assume that you're a clerk. You know what I mean? There's all, I mean, I, I, I've got things like that. You've got things like that. If you were interviewing somebody for a job and that Merlin character came in and said, well, I like to buy a controller every week, obviously that, that's going to be something you would notice and say, this is probably not a good hire. <laughs> But I, I don't know. I, I think that's partly an expertise issue. I, I bet it's partly a chemical issue, certainly an experience issue. But I don't know. I guess I, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I'm just, I, I'm just staring at this picture the entire time I'm talking. I'm fascinated. picture of uh, PSH staring at index cards. And I, I, it just, that's a controlling metaphor for me for so much of what can go wrong. Other great scene, so many great scenes in that trailer, but it's the one where he's rented this i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it but basically he's trying let's just say it's taken him a long time to stage a play and the entire cast is standing there and goes when are we going to get an audience we've been here for 17 years and it's like ugh, i think we all feel that way sometimes you know putting off something you didn't want to do and then you did it and you go holy God, I can't believe I worried about that. Right. Think about times you thought somebody was mad at you and then you found out they weren't. And you're like, oh my God, how much stupid stuff did I do because I just got that wrong? Do you feel that you're a good judge of character? Absolutely not. I'm terrible, terrible at it. I'm, I'm a much more emotional decision maker than I'd ever want to admit. What about you? Uh, you you're a good judge of character? It's hard to answer that with a with an affirmative because then you sound like uh, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I know, but yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm fairly good. What do you? Well, let's just um, not to be all uh, Caden here, but what would when you say character, talk about integrity, um, uh, more like well, you're talking about the interview thing, and I I've always been very very good at reading people, and so that's more that's probably the better question. Uh, are you good at reading people? Reading. People for their intentions. When when you when you sit tell me, down, tell me what that means. Give me an example. Tell me what that means. All right. Let's say that you're doing that a job. You've done job interviews, right? You've been Ugh, the interview. So you've been the interviewer, nightmare. right? It's totally a nightmare. I hate it. So yeah, those, so those are typically very easy for me. I can usually I can usually tell within several minutes, uh, at the most. Usually, usually much much less time. I can usually tell most things about a person. Obviously, I can't tell. I can't tell about their pers- deep personal lives. I don't, I don't, you know, not, not, not nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it, 
usually I can talk to somebody for a very short period of time and, and I, I can tell you a lot. I could tell you a lot about that person. And I've, I've done this to people frequently and it, it usually kind of freaks them out. Are you serious? Really? Yeah, yeah I've always so, been able so to would do you call it? Would you call it your gut? Is there something where That's, you yeah, can it you put a finger like on it? Do you go frayed sleeves? You're a writer? Or do you, is there something where you go, hmm, they seem very intuitive about what other people are thinking without it being said, or they seem to be very narcissistic and make everything about how it, you know, affects uh, them. Yeah, it's is, kind of is now, it conscious. Is it conscious like that? It's not, a, it's not a, it's not coming. Like if, if I were to show you, let, we'll go back to your patterns example. It's not like showing somebody a pattern and saying, what's the pattern here? I'm actually not very good at that kind of thing. Uh, this is completely a gut thing. Like if, if I showed you a picture of, of a clown and then I showed you a picture of a Ferrari, and I said, which of these two pictures do you like better? Of course, you would pick the clown. I'd pick the clown, sure. And, and you don't know necessarily why you would pick the clown. But you <laughs> just I hate, I hate douchebags, but my calorophobia yeah. is under control. Exactly. So you would, so, but, but it's, it's, a gut, it's a gut reaction. You'd pick the clown. And it's that kind of thing. You can, I can meet somebody, and usually within a very, very, very short period of time, I know what that person's about. Now, I'm not saying I know the details. Yes. I'm not saying I know the into, but I, I really know what that person's about, and and I know, the, I know how to communicate effectively with this person. And God, I envy you so much. Well, here's the thing: I don't, I don't. Although I'm, I've all, almost never wrong. I don't put a lot of weight on that. I still, I, you know, I don't use that to make decisions. Or what do you, what do you temper that with? Uh, the fact that, that I'm often wrong about so many things that I just, I just observe and instead of taking well, an that's action. That's a nice but, quality to have. It's, it's a nice quality to, to be able to be wrong. It's, it's such a good quality. Is it? Oh God. Helps in a marriage. I think if you're a guy. Oh man, there's, I've, I've been criticized for saying this, but, uh, I don't care. The, this is true <laughs> about people. Um, in a slightly smaller Venn diagram, this is true of men. It's really, really, really uh, true of women, I think. Um, oh, I shouldn't say this. Go ahead. Right, come on. Eh, All right. Don't say it. I don't want to hear it yeah. anyway. All right. I don't want to say it. We'll do it in the after show. Good. After dark. Chlorophobia. That's number three. I like that one. Do you know what chlorophobia is? Do you know that? Isn't that fear of clowns? It's fear of clowns. Fear of clowns. My daughter does not have it. My daughter, my daughter doesn't like, I've said, I doesn't, my daughter doesn't like to watch Isle and the Cheese Puffs, but clowns, she's totally into it. it freaks like me in out. Person? Like in person or just well, on TV? In person, everything's weird. I mean, she cried when we saw Bert and Ernie because they were kind of big. And I don't like seeing Ernie's feet. I would like to have a version of Sesame Street. You know how you get those Christian movies where they cut out all the violence? I would like to never <laughs> see Ernie's feet because it troubles me. You know? Why? Mm, you know what? I can't, I can't tell you. It's like some people don't like hearing a pan scraping, you know, and, and other people like don't, don't want you to touch their ear or something. Like I don't like seeing Ernie's feet. It troubles okay. me. All right. Yeah. Um, I think, you know what? I'm going to keep it abstract. Act like I never said women. Cut that out. Uh, no, we'll edit Jim. that out. Yeah, no, he won't. I didn't get my plate reverb. Do you think, Jim, does Jim really listen and notice where you put marks? He does, but he usually listens for a curse as as opposed to context. So is he like is he like a pattern matching? Is he got like a grab box type situation? Yeah, he's more of like a pattern. He's awkward. Matching he's awkward. Jim is awkward. Oh my god, that's the second worst pun I've ever made. Did you get that, Dan? <laughs> no. Awkward. Oh, stop it. Sorry. That's what Terrible. I said. That's what Terrible. That's what I said. There's still people listening that don't know what we're talking about. Said. Stop it. Okay, let's knock it off. Oh! oh, come on. Okay, sorry. 
Um, you know, you know what'll get you more tail than Sinatra is Unix jokes. <laughs> Holy God, you can, yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, you know what you need. <sighs> boy, 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 you need a Linux installation to get him out of your pants. That's, that's Ubuntu. Um, <laughs> I think in every human relationship, but very most especially in a partnership, and, and which in, in particular, I don't, I hate to call it a romantic partnership. That's so silly. It's, it's, you know, you stay with somebody because you can put up with mostly the same stuff. You know, <laughs> I can't believe ne people never lived together before they got married back in the day. That seems like such a crapshoot to me. You know, it's, it's so little about whether you like to neck and it's, it's so much about like where the milk goes in the refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? I had a friend, uh, I had a friend whose, whose mom and dad got divorced, and she said that every breakfast for the 35 years they were married, he would hand her the ketchup. And it, every time she would say, redacted name, husband, you know I don't eat ketchup on my eggs. And redacted name, father, would shrug and put the ketchup down and go back to reading something that wasn't her. And... After that marriage ended, that became so – it was like a like – synecdoche? Metonymy? I never remember which. It became emblematic of their entire relationship that basically he had so clearly never paid attention to something, even something that stupid, but every day, right? Yeah. If you're going to have a successful partnership, especially if it is a life partnership, you need to have a ridiculously small number of things that only you are allowed to be right about. And every relationship has these things. There are some things that the other person always gets to be right about, even if they're wrong. And if you think about it and you're really honest, you'll admit that this is that, true. Oh, that bugs people, though. Well... That really bugs people. Bugs some people in a relationship. Well, here's the thing. It can bug you. It might bug the crap out of you. But, like, maybe somebody pronounces something wrong. Or maybe somebody slurps their cereal. Or maybe somebody thinks... I guess what I'm trying to say is whatever it is, and it can be anything... Um, you need to have as few of those as possible. Or you need to like either work it out or not let it show because that is what kills a relationship. I think the number of things, a growing number of things where each one of you thinks only you are allowed to be right, I think that's where you run into trouble. You can always negotiate it, but I'm just saying, I think that's huge. I'm not sure what that has to do with index cards and bears. But I think that's huge. Where do we lose our track? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, the, the seeing colors. I think it's like that. Can, can I pitch you something really stupid from my book that I wrote the other day? Yeah. How's that book going? It's good. It's good. I, I, I'm finding uh, the, the – this sounds really dumb, but the kind of emotional connection that's, that's been lacking. Um, I've gotten it periodically, but I feel really engaged in it again. I'm writing every day. And oh, it's good, good, good. So here's this, there's this big middle section of the book that I like a lot, and it's the part I'm working on right now. And as I said in the interview with Dave and Katie um, – Mac Power Users, good podcast. Oh, by the way, we should plug David's book. Have you looked at David's book? Yes. Isn't it good? This guy is so accomplished. It's oh crazy. My God. And he's a freaking lawyer. I just want to never stop punching that guy. Oh, it's so annoying. Uh, Mac at Work, I believe it's called. Yeah, actually, and I have a copy right here. Get the efficiency and productivity you love from your Mac at work. It doesn't look like, an, it doesn't look like a Wiley book. It's pretty. It's, it's gorgeous. Full color. And you know why? He outsourced. He outsourced it. He went outside the company. Did he really? And it's wonderful. He's working on a new one on the iPad. But if you have a Mac, and of course you do, um, <laughs> Mac at work, fantastic. Super practical. Very well written. Um, I love everything David does. I like most of the fonts he used. Oh, I don't have it in front of me right now. What is he? He looks like he's using, looks like Myriad on the cover. I can't tell. 
It looks like Mirren on the cover, but in, inside... That's John Syracuse. He'll know. Yeah, he'll know. what a font geek that guy is. Is that, say, is that how you say his name, Syracuse? Yeah, there's no can Z I, in can Syracuse. I call him, uh, can I say uh, J-Sir? Can that can be what I call Ooh, him? Oh, I like that. J-A-Y-J-Sir. Okay. Uh, the middle section of the book is this. So the front part of the section is a bunch of blah, blah. You guys are going to skip. The end is really inspiring and douchey. And the big middle part I'm trying to make mm, as practical as I think is useful. And so it's got these six sections. Forgive me. This is totally therapeutic. But the middle section is basically like kind of how to put this stuff into action. And there's these six things that I think you kind of need to do at a high level that then, then can be expressed in a million ways. Uh, can you guess what the first one is? <laughs> first care. Um, so there's seven. First care. Number two, find clarity. Number three, develop tolerance. Number four, question input. Number five, demand courage. And number six, just work. And I think each one works separately, but they're also cumulative. I think it's hard to understand what you're being clear about until you care a lot. Um, it's really hard, I think, to develop tolerance unless you know what you care about and are really clear and how you see things and so on. And number six, just work. Well, that's, that's kind of where you get to, like, now you're a ninja. Now you know what to look for. And the more you work, the more you will put all of these in practice. You will use your new care, your new clarity, your new tolerance, your new um, good information out of your questionable input and the courage to run into your crap storm. And as I saw that, first of all, is that, does that make sense? That's, that's kind of good, huh? That I love that. that. No, that doesn't, that doesn't totally suck, right? Like that's no. kind of, right? Okay. And then here's, I kept noticing, like I asked you if it was your gut and I don't know. Am I going to get an advanced copy of this thing? You can have 115,000 words of something. I said to David, it's like having a big house full of Confederate money. It's like, it's not, <laughs> it's like, you know, um, I'm not really sure I can use that money for anything. And I kind of would like to live in that house sometime. So yay me, 115,000 words. That's crazy. Uh, I, Are I you, so is this done up. then? Is it done? Yeah, Dan, it's done. Awesome. When do I get an advanced uh, copy? It's already in your mailbox. Okay, yeah, hold on. Yeah. I'm, I'm checking. You know, this is really weird, but then I keep coming back to this and I found myself keep like talking about these, making it kind of biological and not in a poop way. Yeah. But it's like you've got your, you've got, and I haven't gotten this worked out in my head yet, but you've got your gut, your eyes, your brain, your heart, and your hands. And to me, that's, I'm sure this is, there's, I'm sure there's tons of prior art on this, but I, I keep coming back to how those, your gut, your eyes, your brain, your heart, and your hands, and maybe something else, because I'm not sure what courage is yet, war with each other right? It's like your gut is this thing that helps you know and intuit things. Your eyes help you see, you know, and kind of filter on some level. Your brain is all about thinking and rationality, you know, about maybe not even decision-making. It's just about processing, processing, processing all this information. Your heart tells you what you feel and what you want, you know, the stuff you can't get away from that you feel and can't get away from that you want. But your hands are the stuff you use to, to assair, to make and to do, right? And it's funny because I, I keep thinking about how whether it's with index cards or whether it's with, you know, distraction-free anything, it's almost like you get those in the wrong order or you miss which one of those your problem is really with. I mean, let's take it as right. Everybody's got a good heart on some level, right? Everybody's got stuff they care about. Everybody got, you know, on some level. We've certainly got things we say we care about. But the disconnect can come if your heart is getting in the way of, let's say, your, if your brain is getting in the way of your heart. Well, first of all, your heart can't run everything. You can't just feel your way into success, you know, unless you do hand jobs for a living. But your brain, the problem is you, you're always falling back to your brain and this thinking and rationality. And for myself, I like to think that I can think my way out of anything when really it's my hands that need to get me out of anything. 
right? It's my hands that have to keep the pencil in motion when I write. You know, my gut, once I get good at it, my gut might tell me if it's any good. My eyes might tell me if this 115,000 words can do anything. My heart might tell me if it feels right. But boy, the last thing I'm going to listen to in a lot of those cases is my brain. Do you know what I mean? The thinking is not helping the hand. And it's getting in the way of all the other parts too. This is really, really random, but it's something I'm thinking about a lot. If you think about where you get hung up with things like procrastination or where you get hung up with things, well, you know, first of all, if you don't care. And by don't care, I don't mean that in like a mean, reductive way. But if your heart is telling you one thing or, and you're not either not listening to it or you're not up to date with your heart, if you don't really know what's not allowed to die, as I like to say, a priority is, is not about a good idea. It's about sacrifice. A priority is about the 10,000 things that are allowed to die to keep one thing alive. And as I say, if you've got more than two priorities, you might as well think you have more than two arms. You're either lying or crazy, but you still only have two priorities that'll work, right? I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's, it's funny how all these different parts of your body are good at a certain role. Your eyes are good at seeing. There's no question about it. Um, your, your gut or whatever you want to call it, your intuition is certainly good at taking you in the right direction. And your brain is, is a fantastic thing. But think about where all your procrastination comes from. Your procrastination in some ways, at least for me, comes from some mismatch between my gut and my brain where my brain will just start churning and churning and churning, right? I need more information because that's what your brain wants. Your brain wants information. Your brain thinks your hand's an idiot, right? Why, why would I sit here and type? I don't know enough yet, you know? And gosh, my eyes can see all these things. I've got so many distractions. And your br- you know what I mean? Your brain, your thinking, your kind of overt intellectualization of any process really becomes a huge barrier. And, and I, I say this because I think this all goes straight back to the stuff we were talking about a couple episodes ago with really just getting your hand in motion, to quote you know, Natalie Goldberg. Mm. And, then, and that's when a funny thing happens. If your hand starts moving and you have that you know, step five courage, when your hand is moving, you learn to ignore your eyes because your eyes are saying, oh, I see is stuff and stuff and stuff, right? Your hand is in motion. Your hand ignores your brain because your brain says, you better stop writing. You don't know enough yet. You're not good at this. All I remember is how you failed. Quit, quit moving the hand, right? And in some ways, your hand also learns to ignore your gut. Because your gut, even while your hand is in motion at first, your gut is telling you, this sucks. You know this sucks. You can feel in your gut that this isn't good yet. Do you know what I mean? And then at some point, I think once that hand moves far enough, you find this really quiet voice that represents your heart. You find out what you feel. You figure out who you want to be. To quote Don Murray, it's a pro- writing is a process of self-discovery. You discover who you are not by thinking about writing. You discover by writing. And if you don't believe that, go write more. Because when you do, you disappear into 3,000 words of work and forget what time it is. Your brain's not even working anymore. Thank God. It's not working in the sense of over-processing. It stopped notice that your hand is moving. And now just words are falling out. And I don't mean to impugn the brain because it's a pretty nice organ. It's got a great case. It's useful for remembering things sometimes. But I really think if we get all of those senses wrong, if we pay too much attention to the one that we like to use, a la overdeveloping a muscle, right. I think that can be really defeating. So I have no idea what all of that means. But I have a, well, I have a question for you. Yes, Dan. It's Dan, something a, a great meditation teacher, Gil Fronstall, he teaches uh, mindfulness meditation. Down in, uh, down in what? Menlo or San Near Mateo? you. Right, Near, down the road. Right, right down, down the road. Oh. IMC. It's, it, this is like one of those things. It's like you, you, you could basically get to IMC. You could be there every schedule. day. I check the schedule. And like, you know, with the kid, it's hard. But I would love to go there sometimes. It's crazy. It's just down on the peninsula. It's like 20 minutes from here. So awesome. 
Can you, hey, Dan, can you link to, you, you sent me a, when we first became pals and you sent me all that stuff, can you dig some of that up, put some Gil Fransdale stuff in the notes? Yeah, sure, cool. sure. So here's, here, here's something he used to say in, in some of his talks. He would ask if, do you, do you believe your thoughts? Do you, do you generally believe that they're, they're true, the things that you're thinking? Is that a question to me? No, just sort of rhetorical. But it my makes answer, what you're talking way, my about. Answer, my answer is yes, for what it's worth. It may, I mean, I'm reminded of that listening to listening to you talk because a lot of people really do identify with their thoughts. They they think that what they're thinking defines who they are in a lot of ways. No question, no yeah. question. I think that's I think that's no, very normal, by the way. Well, and it's totally normal, but it's also really problematic. Yeah, because how can so think about remember when we said in uh, S1E3, beg your pardon, Seltzer. And that's when E3, we were talking about ADD, but we also talked about depression. And, and I was talking about how, in my understanding of depression, the thing that makes it insidious is that is, it's difficult, even if you, quote unquote, know you have depression, your wiring and your pipes are not to be trusted. Anybody here, uh, not me, but some of you have probably tried psychedelics at some point. Not me. But uh, but if I had had psychedelics and I tried like well, I don't know what let's say ecstasy or two CB or mescaline or yeah any of those that I've never tried, boy you know what you can see some things that are not there and you can very much feel some things that are not there more intensely than anything real you've ever experienced right you can just be pretty damn sure that those mushrooms made you see a cartoon cat on a bed just for the sake of argument and that feels so real that no matter how much you intellectually try to talk yourself out of that, it's game over. You're done. That's a cartoon cat now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that this is the brain problem. And I say brain, I guess what I really should say is mind. Um, but, but the point is that the thinking part, especially if you're a very thinking-oriented person, is, boy, you can think yourself into just about anything. And the more you rely on that thinking and the processing and the feeling like you can think your way out of problems, wow, well, that is, to me... I'm not saying be stupid and I'm not saying be careless, but I am saying thinking by itself doesn't do much at all. It could be argued that it does virtually nothing. If you, if the, what you want to have is an artifact, if what you want to have is writing or a painting or a whatever, nobody's ever thought a painting and then been able to frame it, yeah. right? Nobody's ever been able to think a novel and then, you know, have a finished manuscript. It's your hand. It's your hand that does it. You know, and, and in the same way that you want you have these warring voices that are telling you to do this or do that, I guess I just wonder on some level, to your point about the Gil Fransdale stuff, I, I guess I just wonder on some level if that confidence in the veracity of our thoughts can just become one of the hugest barriers of all, where you're, you've now convinced yourself, your gut has given you enough information to say you really are kind of an idiot. Your eyes have given you enough information to say that there's so much chaos in here visually, that the whole reason I can't write is because of distractions, and so on. You can, you can parse it in a million ways, and I don't want to beat these metaphors to death, but it's funny. I just feel like putting your hand first. I like <laughs> no matter that. what I say, it sounds like masturbation. Yeah. But putting your hand first, the primacy of moving, moving your hand becomes so huge because suddenly your brain loses, you know? And it's you're, you're, you all of you get access to stuff that you would never think. So in that thing I wrote, called the, we linked to last time, called Making the Clackety Noise, just in, in, in writing this little blog post, all of these memories of my dad just came out from nowhere. It was really weird. I have no idea where they came from, but they did. 
And like I could never – if I just sat there and went, I'm going to think about this post I'm going to write about how I like personal stories, it wouldn't have happened. It fell out of my keyboard because my fingers were moving. The clackety noise is what made the words fall out. I wasn't thinking. I didn't even have access to my heart, right? I didn't have access to my heart until my fingers did a little bit of the heavy lifting. So I don't know. I don't know if there's anything to that. That's extremely abstract. When you're, when you're writing, do you find that it's a, a very cerebral thing? Are you, are you conscious or are you more simply uh, channeling something? It's the opposite of a cerebral thing. It's, it's, it's one of the very few breaks I get from thinking, and it's wonderful. Um, I, I've, I forget. I've talked about this so much. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it really does take me 11 to 20 minutes to realize I'm writing. I know that. I've always known that, and I still forget it every day. But if I sit and I make my fingers do something for 11 minutes, I will find myself writing. And, and how far is that? Again, back to the Natalie Goldberg stuff. How far is that off from, from meditation, Dan? Right? If you sit long enough, you're meditating. If you never sit, you're not meditating. You can't think, <laughs> thinking is not meditation. Sitting and continuing to sit in the face of all resistance right. is, is meditation. Yeah. So, no, for me, it's not cerebral at all. You're a writer. Well, you tell me. Is it, is it a cerebral thing for you? The drafting? Let me ask you this. Let's put it differently. Drafting, the, the, the typing of words in, in collections and patterns, is that a cerebral thing for you? For me, writing, no, it never has been. I, I would always, uh, this is weird, whenever I write, I, I don't write as much as I like to, you know, as much as I, I used to, for sure, as much yeah. as I'd like to anymore. I used to write a lot. And yeah, like when I would, when I would write one of those uh, those tutorials you're, you say you like so much. Love the, them, uh, love them. You know, Typically, I mean, one of those tops, tops for a real involved one, 15, 20 minutes. As long as it would take you to type it, like to, to press the letters in the keyboard, if you're touch typing, that's how long it would take me to, to write one of those things. And oh, there, there'd be it, little typos and things I'd have to go back and do. But A lot of people's favorite thing I've ever written, it's one of my favorite things, even though I'm not sure what it exactly is about or what to do with it. I wrote this thing called Better um, and put it on my site a while back. And uh, that was... I don't want to overstate this, but that was pretty much the amount of time it took to type it and then proof it. Isn't that it amazing? Fell, it, it fell out of me, and it's one of my favorite things I ever wrote. Like I say, I don't know what it is. It doesn't have a place in my life. It doesn't, except in the it's how I feel. But it's not. That's, it's not. That's a, thing a nice, where I go, nice like, long piece too. It's you know okay length, but it, it came out of percolation, I think, and thinking about something that was kind of a bee in my bonnet. And then I just started typing and it came out. I mean, same thing for like some of my favorite things I've ever written on 43 folders. Like when I finally kind of had this, not a breakdown, but when I finally made the decision to formally make a break from productivity porn, I wrote a post called Four Years. So if you go, and you know, you guys can find this, Google 43 folders, Four Years. And I wrote this like kind of two or three part thing about, and I just found out all these things I never knew I even thought I really made it a very emotional connection to some things I'd never formally thought about that continue to kind of be top of mind for me emotionally. You know, how much I am bugged by fake productivity gurus, how much I am bugged by the ruination of blogging by carpetbaggers, how frustrated I became as somebody who does want to be loved in life, how frustrated I became with PR people and why they're still such a, such a, such a skid mark to me, most of them, the, the, the sucking up people, not everybody, not everybody in PR, but the people who act like they're your buddy when they really just, you know, have the most selfish reasons in the world. But that one piece, again, that was about, mm, I don't want to overstate it, but it was longer than the amount of time it took, but it was less than a day to, to go from idea to, to finished. 
And do and you I find it. that the stuff that, that writes itself like that is usually, isn't that usually better than the stuff that you Always. struggle with? Well, it, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how to answer that. Cause, but it sure feels good when it comes out. And it, it happens so easily when it does happen easily that you say to yourself, why can't it be like this every day? You know, like you, or like you go running. Again, I always come back to exercise or whatever it is. Or you like you call your mom after procrastinating, in my case. And I go like, I feel so much better now. Like, why don't I just do this? Why, why, is, this, why is this hard? You know, <laughs> to quote Caden, why, why do I make this so complicated? But you know what I mean? But you don't. I, I, I risk overstating this, except that it needs to be overstated. I need to remember to write every day. And I, there's a wonderful quote I just put up. I'll help you link to this. But on Kung Fu Grip, I put up the other day from my hero, the late, great, you know, Don Murray. And, you know, this is a guy who wrote up until the day he died. Like, he, his column shipped. He, I think he was like 84. He was, was pretty old. And his column, his Boston Globe column, like, went out the week that he died. Mm. And this guy wrote every day. That's, he wrote every day. He's like, I get up every day and I make words. I write in my day book every day. And he says, you know, every day I sit down at the keyboard and it's like I'm 17 again. And I have to remember how to write. And that, you don't want to obsess over that because you don't want to make it more hard and perilous than it has to be. But n- no, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely. It's, it, when it comes out, it, it's great. But here's the thing, you can't count on that. And, and the, the thing that makes you, I don't want to say a pro, but the thing that makes you somebody who cares enough that you could become a pro is the fact that it's, you do it because it's a thing you do. Right. And this is again where Natalie Goldberg talks about this being like meditation, right? You don't meditate because you want to get rich. You don't meditate because you want to get laid. You meditate because it's a thing you do. Right. And if you're a writer, you, you write because that's a thing you do. I'm clocking because I want to find a great quote. Um, she studied under this guy, I think a somewhat controversial guy these days, but uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Katagiri Roshi. Uh, Breeze Bits, who Kevin Murphy also studied with at the uh, Minnesota Zen Center. Mm. Katagiri Roshi said three things, and I thought, thought enough of this to write it down. It's three things she said, he said about, about life. And I think, it, uh, like, and this is, I'm getting, I'm quoting Katagiri Roshi via uh, Nellie Goldberg. Number one, continue under all circumstances. So no matter what, you just keep moving forward. Number two, don't be tossed away. Right? No matter how much you're set upon from sides, do not allow yourself to be thrown off by either external or internal sources. And number three, make positive effort for the good. Now, you can look at that as a bunch of squirrely stuff from the Zen guy. Uh, no, by the way, an actual Zen guy, not a guy who just like, tells you how to clean your dishes. But, but an actual <laughs> practitioner, a guy who really has spent a lot of time living this from the inside. Continue under all circumstances. Don't be tossed away and make positive effort for the good. Well, you know, you want that in your dig list? Okay, here you go. Don't be derailed. Don't be derailed. Don't be derailed. Yeah. <laughs> Continuing under all circumstances mean like, means like let's, let's take it for writing. We're well, going to write every day no matter what. You can write a little bit every day. Like I said, you could sit on the can and write. Number two, don't be tossed away. Well, if you decided this is a thing you, you do, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to, 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 to fall under these excuses and make positive effort for the good. You know what? Don't make this into a thing where you're, you've got to get all freaked out about it. But just try to remember that I often have to remind myself I do this because I love it. I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I get to do a thing that I love. Not lucky. I'm fortunate. Oh, and lucky. But do you know what I mean? It's like, like we said, you know, talking about our little velvet hands. I mean, we get to sit around and have first world problems and that's a blessing. But no matter what you do, 
make positive effort for the good. In other words, keep trying, you know, just keep trying. Do you know what I mean? I, it sounds so simple, but um, maybe it's in the way Natalie Goldberg says it in her audiobook. Great audiobook, by the way. But I don't know. I think if you keep trying, it gets easier. And if you stop trying, it gets harder and harder. It gets way, way, way harder. And the trying part to me is trying to stick with this stuff no matter what. And having, even if you don't have, a, I mean, part of the problem is I think we get a dedication to being great or not even a dedication. We get a fantasy that we're going to become great, you know? And again, to quote Don Murray, we, we teach writing as literature and we're taught writing as literature, which he says is like trying to infer a pig from a sausage. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's really hard to write. And writing is really about making a giant mess and then cleaning it up a bit and then making a bigger mess and cleaning it up a little bit more until you've said a thing that's interesting, whether it's what you meant to say or not. And you'll never think yourself into 5,000 words of that in your wildest dreams. All that junk I just came up with with gut, hearts, and hands, that was me sitting on a ledge by the bank yesterday for an hour and just typing a bunch of stuff in bullets. And I don't even know if that makes sense yet. It'll make sense eventually. But that's, that's what writing is. Writing is not taking your MacBook to a cafe and, and you know looking things up on Wikipedia. It's moving your hand until words fall out. And you just got to go and do it every day. And then that big, just, that's just a, to quote Louis C.K., that's just a thing you do now. So... Boy, that was all over the map. Oh, right? it was great. All over the map. Just My think gosh, how we're gonna, great that we're was. gonna need a second or a third map just to have more places for it to be all over. Huh. <laughs> mm, you wanna button it up? Yes, let's do that. All right. I love you. Love you too.